You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. All right, we're going to continue on. We've got uh, one more week after this. We're going to wrap it up next week on Nehemiah. And uh, this week we're in Nehemiah 7, and we're going to be talking about the title of the series is Renew, Rebuild, Restore. Renew, Rebuild, Restore. And now we're going to talk about today the purpose of the rebuilding. The purpose of the rebuilding. Because in Nehemiah 7, something different happens. Something changes. The purpose is revealed. The purpose of the construction is revealed. And in case you haven't been here for the last few weeks, um, just a small recap. Is that Nehemiah had to yield to several things. He had to yield to several things. The, when he found out that the, the disrepair of the walls of Jerusalem had happened, that Nehemiah had to ha- have some things trans- transpire in his heart. Because Jerusalem was not just a city. That Jerusalem wasn't just a... Yes, Lord. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Jerusalem wasn't just a city. Jerusalem is where the temple was. And the temple is insignificant except for the fact it's where the presence of God was. And see, where the presence of God is, there's goodness. There's freedom. There's peace. There's life. Now, and that goes back for hundreds of years, even before Nehemiah, that even to the point where God spoke to Abraham and pulled him from Ur and told him to go into the promised land that God was calling him into, into Canaan. That he was speaking to him about presence, about covenant. And God has always been speaking to creation about this. And it goes into with Moses after the exile of the Jews out of Egypt. After 400 years of captivity, one of the first things they did as they got into the wilderness is that they constructed a tabernacle, which is just a portable temple. Why? Because God desired to be with his people. He desired to inhabit a place so to be amongst his people. And that carried all the way into the conquest of Canaan, which became Jerusalem, which became Israel, which Jerusalem sits inside with Joshua. And when they constructed the temple, when David constructed the temple, and Solomon constructed the temple, and they knew this is where God's presence was. Why? Because it was always God's desire to be with his people. To manifest in some way a reflection of his heart to his people. Now, of course, our job and the parallel with Nehemiah is not that we have anything physical to rebuild. Because in the new covenant, through Jesus Christ, there's no longer a physical temple. And this isn't, this isn't, this building is not where God's presence rests. And some of you, that may come as a little bit of a shock. Don't pray for God's presence to fill this place. Why? Because God gave a different promise through Jesus Christ that you are the temple of God. And that the presence of God is in you. And so ask God to fill you with His Spirit. To make the revelation of His glory fill you. Why? Because when we come together in agreement in this situation in unity, with that in mind and that first in our lives, what happens is that God begins to move powerfully. He moves powerfully through our worship and the ministry that we have together. And so with Nehemiah, we see this, and he had to yield to several things. He had to yield to brokenness first, that his heart was gripped with this 
this disaster that had hit the walls of Jerusalem. And his heart broke with that. But it didn't stop there because he understood that he wasn't just called to reflect on the brokenness and the agony of a broken situation. But really what he was called to do was to make a difference and to make a change. So the next thing Nehemiah had to do is he had to have boldness to step out in this dream. It's the same way for every one of us. You know, God moves first through brokenness in our life. He allows us to glimpse a part of his heart that breaks when we look at the world or co-workers or our family, people that are far from God. But he doesn't just leave us in a place of brokenness. No, what he does is he enables and fills us with his spirit to make a difference. And so we have to have boldness to step out. And then, of course, Nehemiah goes out and he had to have vision to do that. And every one of you guys, uh, God has lined out a plan for you on how he's called you to accomplish the things he's called you. Nehemiah had to be steadfast. He had to stand up under the pressure of opposition. And he did it by keeping his eyes fixed on the one who called him. Every person in this place has felt opposition from someone, something, at some time, somehow. And the only way that we overcome that when we know that God has planted a dream firmly in our hearts is by keeping our eyes fixed on the one who has promised because he is faithful. He's faithful. And then Nehemiah had to have wisdom because he needed margin. He, under, he had to understand how to line out life and work to understand the, the, the importance of calling and life. And so he created margin in the people who were helping him build the wall. And then last week we learned about his discernment to overcome the enemy. But something different happens here, and it starts actually in Nehemiah 6. At the end of Nehemiah 6, the scripture tells us that the walls of Jerusalem are finally built. But something marvelous, marvelous, but beyond just the fact that they were built is how short of a time it took to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. 52 days to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Let me give you a bit of context to help you understand the importance of the 52 days. The walls of Jerusalem laid in ruins for 141 years. And when God spoke to Nehemiah and broke his heart and moved him in boldness and helped him overcome the adversary and set their hands to, to work with the vision God gave them, God did something supernatural. He rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. What's the point? Nehemiah is a picture of Jesus. When Jesus comes into the broken areas of our life and he begins to heal the areas around us that are broken, that are destitute, that have been harmed or victimized. The truth about the redemption of Jesus Christ when it comes to healing the broken areas of our life is this is that when we yield to the Holy Spirit, it is much quicker, it happens much, much faster than it took for the need of redemption in our life. Some of you say, listen, I've been stuck in an addiction for 10, 20, 30 years, and you don't see your way out of it. You've been in a mental pattern for years or months or however long it's been, and you don't see freedom from it. But when you turn to the redemption of Jesus Christ, come to the understanding, the truth of this, that the one who is able to set free is able to get you out of the hole a lot quicker than it took for you to get in it. Why? Because God's good. 
One of the greatest things, uh, the character of God that he wants to display to his people is his goodness. That he's the good father. That he is good in his ways. He is good. God is merciful. He's merciful. He, he sees us in our weakness and he still reaches down. Whether it's weakness of filth, whether it's weakness of thinking. No matter what it is, he reaches down. He is merciful. And God is just. He is justice. And here's what I want you to understand about the justice of God. is The justice of God is not him sitting on a throne judging between right and wrong. The justice of God is much like the song we just sang, He's a Lion and the Lamb. See, when a lion roars, what it does is it strikes fear to anybody in its range that hears it. And when God's justice stands up in our behalf, what it does is it doesn't condemn us. It condemns the one who has tried to trap us in sin. And so when the justice of God stands up in your behalf, what it does is it silences the condemner. It silences the fear of the condemnation being brought upon you. And that's why the redemption of God is much quicker than the pain and the agony and the sin it took to get you into the place that you may feel stuck in today. In Nehemiah 6, when the walls are rebuilt, what we see is this, is that the walls had a value. They meant something. The walls meant something. They meant safety. Walls meant safety. And they also meant legitimacy. So you couldn't have security within a city without fortified walls. And there wasn't a city that was worth its salt that didn't have fortified walls. See, God is interested in taking and healing the broken areas of your life. And he's also interested in the broken areas of the people in your life. And he takes and he does that for a very important value. Because he understands that in our hearts, when things are broken down, when there's a pain from a relationship, when there is a hurt from a past wound, when there is something that has victimized one of the saints, that in order for the love of God to be fully understood, that has to be repaired. Let me give you a little illustration. With my five kids, when they're all little, of course kids do what kids do, right? They run, they fall, they get bruises, they get bumps, they get cuts and scrapes. And every little kid, when they get a boo-boo, they think, you think, that their head has just been lobbed off because they scream and they cry, right? So in, in my family, and maybe your family looks the same, that as dad, what I do is I, I, I grab their heads, I make them look at me, I say, knock it off, that's not going to hurt you, that's not a big deal. And they're like... <laughs> and and I, I, am I right? Have any of my kids died from a boo-boo? No. Are they lame from a boo-boo? No. But my wife looks at me like I got three heads. She's like, that is not what the kids need right now. What the kids need is mama to grab them up and to put their head on her chest and say, it's going to be all right. And so she grabs them and she'll say, it's okay, it's okay, baby, it's okay, let me look at it, okay, I'll kiss it. Is there anything magical in my wife's hug or her kisses that I'm missing that Johnson & Johnson sort of smacked on a Band-Aid called Mama's Love or something and wrapped it on a Band-Aid? 
Nope. But there's a principle. See, because truth is not received until love is given. And God knew that. That's why the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, God loved us and he sent Jesus. So the walls of, of Jerusalem here are, are, are important because they have value because they mean safety and they mean legitimacy. But as Nehemiah 6 turns into Nehemiah 7, what we see is this, is the purpose for the walls. See, it wasn't just about the labor and the work of the walls. It was about the purpose of the walls. And the purpose of the walls meant redemption for people. The purpose of the walls mean redemption for people. In the very same way that as God heals your heart and every one of us that we're in this journey together as God touches our hearts and as he calls us into the big things he has for us, no matter if you're, it's your marriage that God is healing or it's your thought life that God is healing or if he's freeing you from an addiction or if he's talking to you about a wayward child, the purpose of that thing is to bring you into the safety and the security of the love of God, but it's also to help you understand that what God has given you, the gift God has given you, the freedom God has given you, is for the purpose of helping other people to know that same freedom. It's a wonderful thing to to just capture the wonderful love of the Father and to stay in that place. But Jesus himself lets us know that the purpose for the freedom God gives us is to bring people into the understanding of the love of God. It's a redemptive purpose for people. In 1 John 3.8, I just want you to listen to this. This is what Jesus said. Jesus was clear about his redemptive purpose. He said this, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Listen, very clear, very clear that God, Jesus knew his plan was to destroy the work of the devil. He understood it. He understood his redemptive calling. He goes on in Luke 19.10 and says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. See, Jesus understood that the things that God was working in him, the, the freedom that was being bought, uh, brought and, and purchased and given to every one of us, that it was for a bigger purpose. It wasn't just meant to be stuck on us, but it was meant to be something that was given to people to help them to see the love of Jesus. So in Nehemiah 7, what be- begins to happen, and if you read Nehemiah 7, it, it, it's actually a pretty long and drawn out book. It reads much like a genealogy, and it's an account of the Jews who are being brought back into Jerusalem. And I, so I want to I start with this, because oftentimes when we see these kind of things, we just kind of glaze over them. But I, I want to I read something to you that I think is really interesting in Nehemiah 7, verses 4 and 5. This is Nehemiah, and he says, Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into his heart to assemble the nobles and officials and the common people for registration of families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return. This is what I found 
written there. And he goes on and he begins to list the people coming back into Jerusalem. The list of the exiles. But here's what I want you to begin to see is that God struck it in Nehemiah's heart that the purpose of the walls, the purpose of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem were to bring the people into the walls. The redemption of the people. Drop down to Nehemiah 7, verse 66. And I just want to read something very quick to you. He says this, The whole company numbered was 42,360. The whole company numbered was 42,360. And typically, again, when you read this, if you're anything like me, when you get into the part of Genesis or, or, or any part of the Old Testament when the, the genealogical records start going, you just start zipping through them. You skim over them mostly because you can't pronounce the names of them, and you're like, what does this mean to me? I don't understand it unless you're one of those people that just love digging that stuff up. But here in Nehemiah 7, it reads much of the same way like that, but I want you to to see something. Those 42,360 people meant something. They meant something to the brokenness that Nehemiah felt when God called him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They mean something to God because God put it on Nehemiah's heart when he was just working in the court of Artaxerxes, exiled in Babylon. God put it on Nehemiah's heart. And why did God put the purpose of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem on Nehemiah's heart? And it wasn't just so that the walls could be constructed and security could be built and legitimacy could be built around Jerusalem. And it wasn't just so that temple worship could happen. Because God understood something. Just constructing a temple without it being close to his people was pointless. And so when Nehemiah 7 reads, it doesn't read as a list of names that don't mean anything to us. But what it really is is an account of God's heart that people matter to God. And no matter what redemptive thing God is working, whatever calling he is putting in your heart, whatever charge he's given you and, and asked you to step out boldly, boldly on, even if it feels a bit reckless, it's for the purpose of bringing people to Jesus. That's Nehemiah 7. That's it. We can pray and go home. Let me give you three things, takeaways from Nehemiah 7. Okay, you ready? Real quick. This isn't going to take long. People matter to God. People matter to God. You can write that down, or if you can't remember it, put it in your phone. It's interesting that when uh, creation was happening, um, we didn't get a say into the creation of God. We didn't get to say, God, I'd really like you to be like this or look like this. I really want you to overlook this. We didn't get to do that. No, God is, it's, it's laughable. God, God is creator, right? As a matter of fact, one of God's names is I am that I am, which means this, I, I am the source. I am the beginning. I am the thing from which everything created comes from. I am. Like, there's nothing before me. I am. I am the man. And we absolutely did not have anything to do with the creation of God. Yet, God had everything to do with our creation. 
And Genesis 1 gives this beautiful account that sometimes we might lose sight of. And it reinforces the significance of how important people are to God. Because God gets done creating the majesties of the earth. Most beautiful mountains, the vastest oceans, most beautiful lands. He gets done creating the magnificent heavens that we haven't even touched the tip of yet. The galaxies and the stars and the things that it's gonna, science will never get to the depths of. He creates all the animals that are amazing and, and wonderful. Did anybody see the panda rolling in the snow? Oh, yeah, come on. Come on, I'm not even on Facebook and I saw that. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It will warm your heart. He created that panda. He created the, the biggest whales, the fiercest lions. But in Genesis 1, verse 26, 27, it says this, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them both. I want to, see, I want to show you something in verse 31. God looks at everything he had made at the man, and he says, this is very, very good. It's the only thing of God's creation that God looks at and says, very, very good. Very, very good. See, we didn't choose God, but God chose us. God chose us. He chose us in his image. He chose us beloved. He chose us as the pinnacle of his creation. You are the pinnacle of God's creation. There's nothing higher. When you look at everything, the majesty of all the earth, there is nothing more beautiful to God than you. And it would be wonderful if it stopped there. It would be wonderful if we lived to that place of being God's pinnacle of creation. That everything we do, did was beautiful and, and, and perfect, but it isn't. See, we, by sin, invited brokenness into our lives. We rejected God. We rejected the truth of the beauty He created us in. And we turned from Him. And you would think at that point, God's face would turn from man. But see, the Creator who chose you as a pinnacle of His creation, in those days of creation, still chooses you and chooses man today. Because in our brokenness, he sent his only son, Jesus. Huh. I recently... I recently had something happen where I was connected with this revelation, the highest place in my life. I had something happen with one of my kids that broke my heart. And as I sat and I pondered it and I talked about it with this child, this thought hit me. And I meant it. 
is that if I could, I would lay down my life to make sure my child never encountered pain, hurt, damage in their life. And as I was thinking about that and as I was crying about that, I heard the Lord say, that's what I did. I laid down myself, Andy, so that you could be free from pain, brokenness, and addiction, and harm. And if the revelation that people matter to God has lost any traction in your life, humble your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to make it alive. Because people matter to God. People matter to God. The most broken, dejected person that you can ever see or find on this earth is more valuable to God than anything created on earth. People matter to God. The second thing that we learn from Nehemiah 7 about God's heart for people, and we really just learned this from God's heart, is that the church, church exists for people. The church exists for people. Justin, you can come on up. You know, John Piper, if you're not familiar with John Piper, he's a theologian and a a well-known Christian writer. He made this statement that the purpose of the church is for the glory of God. And it is. That's absolutely true. That as we gather in unity, that one of the core values that we have is to glorify God. But you can absolutely not divorce the calling to reach people from being a reflection of the glory of God. You cannot divorce the reality of our calling to reach the lost, to reach people, to reach those who are at a distance of the knowledge of the love of God from being a reflection of the glory of God. Let me read you something in Acts 17 that Paul has as an encounter with some some Greek philosophers in Athens. In Acts 17, 22 through 27, I want to read this. It says, Paul then stood up at the meeting of the Arab... Aeropagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you the God who made the whole world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that, are, that should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. In this speech, what Paul's doing is outlining the value that God has for the church to reach people. 
He says, listen, it's not about the things that are built by human hands. It's not about temples. It's not about the organization. But the truth of the matter for every one of us is this. When we choose to live under the revelation of our redemptive calling, then we begin to see people a little differently. See, God knows exactly where he puts you right now. Even if it's a broken area, God sees it. It's not his purpose to keep you in brokenness. It's his purpose to bring you out of that, but he sees where you are. And Paul says that, he says, listen, God knew your birth. God knew your death. He, knew, he knows everything in between. And what he does is this. Is he manifests himself in a way, his structure and his organization, so that people look up and see him. But the question becomes this, just like Paul there to the people of Athens, part of that structure is acknowledging that we have a place to go and a time to speak and a people to talk to. That on that day, those people who put their faith in something that wasn't there, to the unknown God that they didn't even understand, they couldn't even begin to understand his attributes or character, God ordained Paul to be there and to say, hey, listen, I've got a message of life for you. And God saw fit in the timeline of my life and your life for this moment to happen so that you would look to him. And the reality is this, and Paul uses this position here of saying, listen, if God is about temples, then God doesn't have an outdoor conversation with a group of philosophers. But because God is not locked in a building, but instead he is in you, then the glory of God can be carried into your home, into your workplace, into your schools. Because people matter to God. And finally, you exist for people. You exist for people. You were created to be a reflection. I can't say it any better than this in Matthew 5, 14 and 16. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, God's ordered your days. He knows you. He's designed who you've been put with. And one of the greatest things that we can do, let me say this to you, one of the greatest things that we can do is this. When it comes to pursuing the calling of God in our life, it's to begin at the place of redemption. To begin and to say, I'm going to let my light shine exactly where God has put me. Why? Because I know for sure, I know for sure that people matter to God. And when I choose to let my light shine to the people, whether it be in my workplace, the people in my home that don't know Jesus, Starbucks, my school, the gas station, what I'm acknowledging is that I'm in line with the purposes of my Father. See, and it doesn't stop there. I don't believe it stops there. 
See, there's uniqueness to every one of you, a design, a specific design God's given you that it may look different the way it comes out, and that's okay. But when we start there, what we're acknowledging is that we have been created as new creations in Christ Jesus to let our light shine before people. So this morning, I want to close this very simply. In a second, I'm going to give you a chance to stand and we're going to pray. But I just want you to think about some things. I want you to think about what God is doing in your life. Specifically in your redemptive story. As your redemptive story is being written, for some of you, God is bringing you out of addiction. He's, he's recently set you free from addiction and you're writing a new chapter of your life. For some of you, God has called you to something so big and you're taking a, a step of faith larger than you've ever taken in your life. He's writing a new chapter of your redemptive story. What is God doing in your redemptive story? Have you thought about that? And all through this room, as I look across this room, I'm telling you, I could, I could almost one by one go through and say, this is, this is something God's doing in you. Because the thing that God's doing is He's repairing the walls of your heart. He's doing it for something bigger. He's doing it for a, a testimony, something that you're going to be able to give as a gift to somebody to help them see the freedom. I want you to pray and I want you to, to think on this. Who is God sending you to? Who's God sending you to? Is there somebody in your neighborhood, at your workplace, that God's asking you to pray for, asking you to talk to? For some of you this morning, I believe this, that you don't know the redemptive love of Jesus Christ and today and you may have sat in church for a long time and today you need to have an encounter with that love by saying yes to Jesus I invite you to stand to your feet as we pray this morning I want you to think on these things I want to challenge you a bit if you feel like your your, your, uh, your spiritual walk has gotten stagnant you've run out of devotionals I want you to pray this through I want you to pray about this and I want you to ask the Lord because I want to challenge you, and I promise you that if you step out in obedience to what the Lord's telling you to talk to somebody, to share your redemptive story. I got a text from one of the pastors on staff that works a full-time job, Pastor Spud. And he said that two days ago, he had the opportunity to spend two hours talking to his boss about the redemptive love of Jesus. See, something had, to, some, something had to line up. God lined it up. The Holy Spirit lined it up. It wasn't accidental. But, but can, I, can I tell you something? That if you're not yielding your heart that way in obedience to God, and you're not willing to take a step of boldness, that conversation doesn't happen. See, and what took place that day was this, is that 
another group of seeds were planted in, his, in that man's life. And that man got another taste of the love of God. And he's coming to Jesus. And every one of us, listen, if we believe that God loves people, have to yield to that same truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for your great love, Lord, that you heal the areas of our heart. Lord, anybody here this morning, God, that's dealing with that brokenness, there needs to be a part of their heart that needs to be repaired no matter what it came from, God. Lord, just let your healing come and touch that area of their heart. The revelation of the goodness of the Father, fill their heart. The healing of God, fill their heart. But God, as a group of people, as you've rebuilt the walls of our heart, Lord, let us fix our eyes on the redemptive purpose that you've called us to. Lord, don't let us look past, Lord, the places that you've set us in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in the cities that we're, we've been called to. But God, open our eyes to the people that don't know your love. Lord, let us understand the redemptive story that you are building in our lives by your grace, God, the redemptive story that you're building in our lives. And Lord, fill us with your boldness as you lead us to speak words of life to the people that you put us in the middle of. Give us eyes to see, God. Give us hearts filled, Lord, with your boldness. Lord, filled with the revelation of your redemptive work in us. And God, give us boldness to speak. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I declare your grace upon every person in this place. Lord, I thank you, Father, that you have put your hand, that you put your calling upon them. This morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you don't know the love of Jesus that's transformed your life, that's brought you into the peace and the love of God, that you've never made Jesus Christ your Savior, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you took and paid the penalty of my sin at the cross when you allowed your body to be broken and your blood to be shed. Thank you for saving me. I welcome you into my life as Lord and Savior. Let me know your great love right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, if you prayed that prayer, I want to tell you that you just prayed the greatest prayer that you could ever pray. Listen, we love you guys so much. Thank you so much for being here today. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow night at our time of prayer at 7 o'clock. Have a great week.